0: Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today we're joined by Fixed Income Portfolio Manager Jeff Moore. Jeff provides his insights on the fixed income markets for the short and long term and what's moving the markets and where he sees inflation going at this point in time. So is inflation under control and what would you call inflation right now? Jeff says inflation is falling but we're not getting back to 2% anytime soon. At this stage the market is saying the Fed is behind pace but is making progress as well. Jeff adds an analogy saying if we get to a blue or black ski run that means something in the economy has broken but right now we're on the green run. Host Pamela Ritchie asks but if something does break and a recession happens why do you want to be in bonds? Jeff suggests you'd love to be in bonds right now because of yields. We're seeing the power of yield and compounding come to the forefront. Jeff also touches upon China's slow growth and opening and the European Central Bank's latest moves. This podcast was recorded on July 27th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.
1: Hi, Jeff. How are you?
2: Yeah, I'm very well.
1: Good. Good. Nice to see you. Okay, let's begin with. We kind of knew it was going to happen. Does it change the world? Data dependent. Haven't they always been data dependent? Why do we? Are why are we still hearing this so hard?
2: Yeah, it's so funny. So I. I think that, you know, a year ago, they just wanted to lift off zero. And if I'm the Fed, and we, we talked about this, panel, I think the Fed is feeling so lucky. Bank of Canada feeling really lucky in the ECB that we were able to reset rates. And so far, we haven't really broken too much. We've broken some things, we're maybe not sure exactly what we've broken yet. And, and I think the Fed at this stage feels like we've reset rates but they just cannot allow the bond market to go for a rally. So they have to keep telling the bond market, well, we might raise again, don't do anything, don't move. And so I think this has been one of these periods where they did 25 yesterday, the Bank Canada did 25 the week before, the ECB did its 25. I think as much as anything from here, including this one, it's all about don't let the bond market rally, don't let financial conditions get easier.
1: Okay, don't let them get easier. They are kind of easy.
2: Yeah, you know, these are not extraordinarily high interest rates that, you know, what was probably something we have to sort of back out of as a society is the last 10 years, we had massive financial repression. We had interest rates that were so low by any measure in history. And in post-COVID and and during COVID, we went to another level of low zeros and negatives in Europe. And so I think that's the period you go, we have to step away from that and say, what's the normal period look like? This is starting to feel a lot more normal.
1: So inf- so normal inflation is, so is inflation under control? What would you call inflation right now?
2: Yeah, so I've, as we've talked, but I always look at like the ski slopes analogy, we're on the green run still in the US, which is to say inflation's falling, we're off the peaks, but we're not getting back to the 2% anytime soon. But the Fed's on the right track, and that's sort of the inflation story that we saw with CPI. If you look at what happened to PCE today, PCE is the inflation measure the Fed likes because it takes out one big thing, housing. So PCE is sort of everything but housing. That PCE number came in sub four. So what the market's recognizing and what the Fed knows is we're winning. We know that we've won the game. We just don't know the final score. And so at this stage, the market's saying the Fed may be behind the pace some, maybe there's six months or 12 months or 18 months behind the pace But they're making progress. If we get to a blue run or black run, you know, that would have to be something breaks in the economy. And if that happens, you know, well, that's a whole different kettle of fish.
1: Right. And okay, but let's say that something breaks, uh, recession happens, black run in this case. Why do you want to be in bonds?
2: Well, so right now you love being in bonds just for the yield. You know, we're back at the kind of yields you were getting in the 1990s, the early 2000s. This actually feels like a bond market that's much more reminiscent of the old days than the financial repression. So it's just a lot more yield, and pretty much any bond asset class you own, pretty much, you've done okay in you know year to date in September. And so the point of that is, we're not we're just seeing that the power of yield and compounding starting to come to the fore, something that you know we forgot about for the last ten years because it was all about crisis
1: fascinating fascinating to to sort of go through this ultimately and you know it, it becomes almost i know this is not from where you live the world but it becomes the dividend argument of get paid while you wait to an extent
2: i love getting paid to wait okay and then to the extent you can buy bonds and think of them as insurance as well that if something goes bump in the night breaks no, not not that we're calling for it, the bond market can then rally a lot for you and your price can go up a lot in a lot of ways, then the bond market is insurance that pays you to wait; doesn't cost you money. How great is that?
1: Tell us a little bit about so the bond market flows into the bond market. Twenty twenty two was a tough year, and anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. The demographic story, though, of investors ultimately here you're joining all these advisors who are in, who are advising people at various stages in their careers. For those that Our younger investors have a long way to go in their careers while they can save. Are bonds a good idea? But speak to the ballooning number of people who really cannot afford ultimately to have, you know, money at risk.
2: Right, well, let's look at this demographic story from a couple of perspectives. We've never had this many 50 and 60 year olds. And 50 and 60 year olds have more money than 20 and 30 year olds. That makes the most obvious sense. We've been working longer, that's it, we won. We've been working longer and we've had this great run for the last 30 years of almost no big financial collapses, no wars, no anything that sort of ruined, you know, the average person's wealth. And the reason this matters is I think there's a lot of people saying, how come the economy is so strong in the U.S.? And even in Canada, why why are we chugging along? And one of the things we, you know, just this is just a sort of one of those sort of anecdotes that is a story, is to talk about golfing. The, the rise of golfers, I got my golf shirt on, the rise of golfers in, in this year. What we've noticed is there's been a smoothing of golf rounds. If you're a golfer, you know golf, even if you golf Tuesday and Wednesday, which usually be the off days, you're now at the same level pretty much in terms of usership, your users, as you are on weekends now. Wow. And one of the things driving that are all the 50 and 60 year olds. Because if you're 50 and 60 year old, kids have moved out mostly. You probably have got a little bit of surplus time as we call it and so you have a little more flex or you may be heading to retirement there's all that piece but that group that golf group and recreation and the reason i'm saying is you look at the component of gdp that's popping this consumption and what's driving consumption it's recreational consumption things like golf and that's 50 and 60 year olds powering through this economy
1: fascinating and so they need ultimately, some payouts to be coming along. They need security to know that it's there, the sleep at night component. There are a number of questions, Jeff, actually rolling in right now that have to go to your, your sort of directional call, I guess, on the U.S. dollar, the currency story even more broadly. And, and again, it probably comes back to sort of the fortress North America story. But the U.S. dollar, lots of discussions of it weakening. Then you get extreme discussions about it you know, going away and all that kind of thing. But there is a pretty interesting <laughs> currency story globally right now. Take Take us into it from your perspective.
2: Right. I think that, you know, the U.S. demise has been massively overstated here. If anything, you know, we've talked about this on a demographic basis. The US and Canada are pulling away from the planet on an absolute and relative basis. Full stop. You know, and part of this is population. We actually have growing economies. So the population in the US grew by over a million and a half last year. Canadian population grew by 400,000, depending on how you calculate it. And and then, but then you fast forward to Japan, down a million. China's population is falling, and if you think of the number of people times the output per person is GDP, the number of people are going down, gets, it's a headwind. And this is the challenge that as the years go on, these demographic declines in population become more extreme. You know, there's a story where the Chinese population could start falling by 30 million a year for the next 30 years, starting to like 2028, 2029. That's the whole country of Canada, not quite, going away every year in China. There's almost no way you can tell me a positive GDP story. Now, it doesn't mean China's going to fall in the ocean. I don't want anybody to think that. It's just, it's going it's, to, its GDP is going to be capped. Where the US and Canada are still growing, mostly immigration, but most countries don't take immigrants. So this becomes a story of Canada, US. So what I call is, I think it's Fortress North America plus Brazil now is the okay. investment 15.
1: <laughs> okay, why plus Brazil? Why?
2: Well, if you look at what's happened with just capital flows as well, because population decline leads to something else, it means there's no surplus capital labor. If you think about why did China do so well in the 1990s and 2000s, it went from rural to urban and had all this surplus labor that was redeployed into high productivity things and they were running. So, and a lot of that capital came from Japan in the 1990s, became sort of Japan's backyard and to build things. If you think about today, fast forward, if China doesn't have any surplus labor, which we could have a rousing conversation on that, which I don't think they do, but maybe you think they have a small bit. You know, the most surplus labor still is going to be like the Brazils. Even the Mexicos still have more surplus labor. And I think what's also happened is as geopolitical tensions have reared their head, um, it's, been, it's a lot easier to think of investing as a person in Brazil or Mexico than putting the next doll in China.
1: That's really interesting. Where do you put your next dollar? Okay. So, yeah. So, there's your answer to that. Cause I was going to ask for a more global picture. I mean, we were listening to the ECB. I was listening to Madame Lagarde for, for, I don't know, it felt like hours uh, this morning. And I mean, they're in a different spot. She's got a lot of maybes and we'll see. And we don't know. But the fact is, it appears they are hiking into weakness. I mean, is that, is that not correct?
2: That's what it feels like. There is a, if, if, if clients get a chance, look at the Wall Street Journal article. Of a few days ago, talking about how uh, Europe's in, in, in financial decline and you know ke- uh, incomes in Europe are falling. That's this is a part and parcel of a demographic story of gridlock, less you know, less dynamic economies. And again, it's not the end of the world. It just means you're not gaining. And so, to, to tell me a story that the euro can go up versus the big dollar, sure, you can tell me a cyclical story. I struggle to see a secular move to the euro up. Certainly, on the, on the gilts and the pound sterling, it's, uh, there's almost no good story I can see that leads to, to a systemic power move by the gilts, right? And the, and the pounds. And, and you know, look at Japan. And yeah, they can have rallies versus the big dollar, but if your economies are expanding and getting more robust. You're just going to fade a little bit. And that's where I think the world is. It's just, and the US dollar is just sitting.
1: So that's really interesting because that sort of speaks to, you know, Probably how you see investment opportunities globally. If if we could if you could dig into us as for as sort of the areas of the market, the positioning, whether you're looking at high yield, whether you're looking more more the investment grade. Tell tell us where your positioning takes you at this point, and you know and why.
2: So if you remember, you know a year ago we were telling clients that we think this is the anti 8 The anti 8 I love that for the U S. In the sense that. Uh, this rate rise wasn't going to lead, you think about the 08 event. What happened is 04 to 06, Chair Greenspan raises rates, 350 basis points, breaks housing in the U.S., 07, 08, the housing falls apart, breaks banks, and the U.S. has a banking crisis. And That's the 08 story, you know, there's other bells and whistles. Fast forward to today, the rate rise didn't have the same impact on housing because of 08, because you know, what most like something at 95 to 97% of Americans have conforming mortgages uh, that are fixed rate for 15 or 30 years. So for a lot of Americans, they have 27 years to go at 3% interest rates on their house. Back in 08, though, only 40% or only 60% of homes were in the same category. 40% of Americans in 08 had either all days, no do's, you know, made up docs, And they had no staying power when rates changed. Rates have changed now. And and for most American families, they haven't noticed anything happen to their their, uh, mortgage. Now, they're locked into their house, right? Because they can't sell it and take their mortgage with them. Having said that, their house is not a burden for them. So for the last year, most American households have not noticed the rate rises. And they all have jobs and maybe got some um, gains there. So on a net basis, they're feeling fine or better than fine. That's the problem of this one.
1: So tell us a bit about how that brings you. So it's the anti-08. The banks are not in the same situation. Well, they have their own story, which we can get into in a minute. But where does it take you on the positioning?
2: Yeah, so that's a great point. So one of the reasons we kept a bit more of a risk on uh, field than maybe some of our clients would have thought um, in, in the marketplace is that we thought the valuations were a kind of fair uh, for high yield and investment and loans and, and so forth, and, and but yields overall were at the hundred percentile. So we said, let's go grab yield. Let's also make sure that we don't underweight because it's the anti-weight. Risk assets aren't super cheap, but they ought not to be super cheap, right? This isn't a crisis, and so that's kept us uh, in the bond market in in sort of really a, a balanced portfolio of fixed income assets a lot longer than, say, some of our competitors, and it's generated so much yield. I'll give you one example. Think about the bank loan market. If you think of bank loans, they're floating rate notes, they have reset their coupon. These will be, this is definitely going to lead to more defaults. They're it's
1: usually going to lead to more defaults.
2: Going okay. to default has to. The yeah. hard part, right, is they yield 11%, a percent a month. So it's a race between how much yield you get and how fast defaults move. The other thing is we're in the start of a cycle. And, and, when, and the reason I think this is important, this is what I call the low default part of a cycle. What's happened now is all that's happened for most companies is just their rate of interest has changed. But no one's their, their loan's still outstanding. Most of these loans have till 2024, 2025, 2026 before they mature. So there's been no big moment for them. And so the, for the, the company, if you think about it and you go back a year and say, Well, I could comfortably finance at seven percent, but now at eleven it hurts me. You have an easy negotiation with a borrower or creditor. I say, Well, can you can you handle nine? And so then instead of eleven, we can do nine, and then we actually get some bells and whistles, maybe we get some covenants and stuff. And so this has been the low default part of the cycle. And so yield is powering through everything. And that would that would be my only caution for clients. Don't be too negative. I wouldn't be all one way either. I'd just say, balance yourself out, leave some pieces. But don't be too negative on high yield and below investment grade because this is the part of the cycle where it hurts it's when debt maturity start hitting 2025 ish that's when it gets harder and harder and so for here it's just a power move through uh interest.
1: okay really interesting how how do the funds that you manage um balance that out i mean what are they doing
2: so they've done a great run, you know a year to date the last one year two years three years and but at the same time, we're 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 trying to make sure we don't get too over our ski. Okay, we're not trying to buy too much of anything. So leave yourself room to add because something will break. That is something I don't know when or how, but something will break. And when it does, I want everyone to have an obvious asset allocation. So leave room, whether it's in your stock bucket, in my personal view, but in your high yield buckets and even your government buckets, to add either duration or add credit risk. And if something breaks. You'll be so happy because you're. You might lose a little bit on something, a little bit, but you'll have an, a great chance to make a, a wonderful asset allocation. And until then, enjoy the yield. We're just powering through this marketplace at this stage, and see what Chair Powell says in September.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, September is the next, well, Jackson Hole too, but that's almost September. Um, so here's a question that actually it, you pretty much answered it right there, but maybe just for, for the specifics of this question. So where on the curve are you on bonds and where are you on the credit side of things and then thoughts on duration? So you kind, of, you kind of said that, but I guess they just want to know actual positioning.
2: Yeah, let's just hit it really quickly. So we have an inverted yield curve, which means short rates are higher than longer rates. That can't survive forever. That's inverted right now because the Fed's yanking the front end up. Once the Fed's done, the curve, I think, we will want to reshape to positive. And so right now, the curve inversion is 100 basis points, so it's minus 100. A normally shaped curve, normal, whatever that counts, is plus 100. So the curve's going to move, I think, by 200 basis points at some point. You know, go from this to that. And so what I think what clients want to do is start edging into a, a steepener. And this way to get us deeper on is to focus on those five to 10-year cash flows. And So the bulk of our portfolio for clients right now is between five and 10 years of maturity. We're getting rid of the long 30-year bonds. We don't own really any of the short bonds because the short bonds can't really do well until the Fed says it's okay to go now. And so I can imagine a world, imagine a world where we have a checkmark yield curve at some point, where the Fed's holding rates up, but the bond market rallies way far ahead of it. And, and leads to that check mark, that's kind of like the early 1990s yield curve shape. And in that world, you, you want to have a steeper run.
1: And so we can make sure if, I mean, through your funds, that's what you're doing. Like that's what- That's yeah, what to
2: do with portfolios right now Um, and be defensive. We have a lot of duration. We have a lot more duration now than we had two years ago. If you look at, you know, Stacy does our hot, our, our cool yeah. simulation. She her. She's great. Yeah, she's great. Stace yeah. is, is, is just such a great teammate to have, and she's always coming up with new ways to look at the portfolio, stress test and, and really give us insights into what, what could make us money or lose us money in the future. It's very, Her job is very important. But Stace, um, she'll tell you right now that the model says, given the level of rates, the level of spreads, and forward volatility, the bond market should be lower in yield. That's all she says. We don't really know how it gets there. I can't prove it to you. It's not a forecast. It's just a sim, a simulation based on the past. And so, when you look at all of that, you kind of say, hmm, I kind of don't mind owning some fives and tens in the government markets here. And we think diversification has come back. If you look at the last sort of ten big down markets in, in the S and P 500, that sort of more than half percent, the bond market's gone up in price. That's kind of a nice. Okay, it's starting to do its job because the Fed's getting out of the way. And it's going to let the market participate over. And I think that's long term a good thing, and it means portfolio versus back more useful. We have some yield in the market, and then we also have, I think, a little bit of, of awkward, uh, opportunistic. We could make some big money if something breaks.
1: Okay, that's that's if something breaks. Okay, so that sort of answers those that might be worried about a recession scenario, which, you know, there's fear in the market for sure as well, along with sort of the FOMO feeling. I want to ask you, we just have a couple of minutes left, a little bit about the banking regs. They're coming out as Bloomberg headlines. We're watching them come out. More capital seems to be the story. Um, Tell us what it means for a bond investor, if anything.
2: Right. So the first thing to consider here is that the, the banks that are going to need more capital are going to be the regional banks and the banks that sort of before had a little bit of a haul pass. The big SIFI banks, too big to fail banks, they already have capital requirements. They have locked in the capital needs. They have, they have to pass the stress test for the Fed. The regional banks that had sort of this, the foot foul a few months ago are going to need more capital. Their loan books are going to be um, more heavily, uh, uh, be more protected. Which means they'll do less loans. And and all that to me says that the future for a regional bank is less NIM, less net interest margin. And less NIM means less earnings. And so even if the bank becomes more solid, it's gonna be less profitable. And that's you know, I don't know much about stocks, but that doesn't sound like a great you know thing for stocks.
1: Doesn't it make bond yields go up?
2: No, it doesn't, but it does say that the banks have traditionally regional banks have traditionally been big. In local markets, especially for CRE, commercial real estate. So, if you're a local developer and you're in Boise, I use Boise, you probably are getting your um, your financing from a local bank, not one of the majors, because the majors don't really know Boise. They don't know the zoning and all that stuff. That makes it a little, the cost of capital higher for those developers and those um, sub markets. And so, it's going to be an impact there. Regional banks have also been a big buyer of, of mortgages, agency mortgages, Fannie, Freddie, Ginny, because they had. Basically, they, they were zero risk weighted, and they just like the interest payment, payments. Now, if the if part of the bank capital requirement here, and I'll just be one second, is to say you can't have an asset liability mix, that is mismatched. Remember what happens in, in the regional right. banks? As soon as asset liability mismatches go to zero, it means the, 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 the bank's chief risk officer will not allow you to have average life securities. Is average life securities, you don't know what your interest rate sensitivity is. So they want to have bullet securities. It's a problem because the mortgage market in the U.S. is average life securities. That means less demand from those banks systemically for average life securities just based on the regulator. And here's another thing to think of. When you look at Europe, who doesn't allow ALM mismatches to their banks, they're not heavy buyers of U.S. mortgages.
1: So there isn't that buyer there standing at the wayside. Um, Very interesting. And and a story I'm sure that will weave through our future conversations with you. I hope you have a great golf game. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. It might as well. Jeff Moore,
0: thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Pamela. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.